0: Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic, body-based practices with so many real-life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to BarryTesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Hi everyone. Welcome to my money memoir series. Today I have the honor of interviewing Kate Howerton and she is a financial coach at Smart Path in Atlanta and the 2019 FPA Diversity Scholar. Kate is a financial coach, accredited financial counselor, and candidate for her CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner Certification. She just passed that, so we are going to congratulate her and talk about that for a moment. She infuses authenticity and inspiration with proven financial processes to yield innovative, ideal, and sustainable financial plans for each of her clients' unique journeys. She is a student loan and relationships and money specialist. Her ideal niches include the XY generation, LGBTQ plus individuals and progressive and unconventional professionals. Her additional interests include trauma-informed financial practices, which we love, emotionally focused coaching, LGBTQ plus advocacy, podcasting, and her golden retriever, Charlie, Because money plays a crucial role in most aspects of an individual's daily life, it is imperative to understand and acknowledge the relationship between identity, diversity, and finance. Kate has chosen to pursue financial planning because she believes all individuals should be afforded equal access to financial coaching and financial planning. As a lesbian financial planner, She strives to provide each of her clients equitable access to the tools and information which are necessary for them to understand their financial options, most effectively manage their money, and accomplish their financial goals. Kate, I'm so honored and happy to have you here today. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So you came on my radar, I think, in the last year or so. It might have been Facebook. And I just started watching you and then I saw that you were, um, closed behind doors, you know, closed up behind doors studying for the certified financial planner, um, tests for the last year. Um, and that you just took that test and passed it. I did. I did. I passed on Monday. Thank goodness. Woohoo. Congratulations. Thank you. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, so I have so many questions for you. I'd love, as we begin, if you would give us a snapshot of family, life, and work right now, and what's most important to you, and we'll start there. Sure, yeah, so um I guess we'll start kind of probably with
1: the less wordy topic of, of work. Um I I work as a financial coach for an organization called SmartPath. So we serve the uh, we we serve middle-class Americans. So we we are a subscription-based um financial coaching service and we also provide um employer wellness benefits as well. So what does all of that mean? That that essentially means that we do anything as far as budgeting all the way up to the point of investment advice, um, accountability work. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a, it's kind of a crossover between some, some mindset work. Yes. And then also accountability, but that also, um, we, we have certified and trained professionals that are, I can dig into the numbers as well. So it's a really cool area to be in because, um, I get to use all of my EQ every single day. And then I also get to use uh, all of my quantitative skills that I have. So that's something that not a lot of people do or or have is kind of stepping into both sides of the realm of feelings and thinking. And so um, I get to do that on a daily basis. And um, as far as other professional pursuits and so forth, as you mentioned, I have been locked up (laughs) for a year is really I've pursued the CFP certification um, right at a year ago is when I began, and it, the first part of the year I was doing the, the education requirements, and then I had to, to review, and um, I, I can almost assure anyone out there that wants to go to the certification, it's worth it, but man, it is so hard. <laughs> it was tough, um, and on my my, my in my personal life with my family and friends and so forth I, I reside in Atlanta um, I live with my my significant other Katrina and I have my pup Charlie and two cats um, who definitely run the house so the cats were we they just allow us to live there um, <laughs> i I grew up in Arkansas and so I really lived most of my life in Arkansas until um, I relocated to New Orleans for a large part part of my 20s, um, and then relocated to Atlanta for, for the position with SmartPath. Um, so most of my family's there. We we have about 100 acres of land, and so it's something that most people don't also get to experience of, of growing up on a farm um, and very, very tight-knit community, um, and, and my, my family still lives there now. So I, I go home. Several times throughout the year and um definitely going home for Christmas. So I, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. And as a as a proud cat owner, we have three cats um in our household and then one community cat that visits daily and now a second community cat that starts to visit. So Yeah. I, I
1: watch on Facebook all of these little community cats that you that you all have befriended and I love it. <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah. And I also want to make sure I'm saying the, um, LGBTQ, the plus, the plus part correctly. It, yeah. It, because I'll just say I grew up in Chicago and grew up with, um, a mom and dad and then my uncles. My two uncles were life partners. And, um, so I grew up surrounded by the gay community and my family owned gay bars. All the original gay bars, Christopher Street, um, <clears throat> Vortex, Manhole, um, in Chicago in the '90s, in the 1990s, 1980s, 1990s, um, and there, there was LGBT, um, mm-hmm. and then, and then Q, and plus. It, so explain that. To, ex, please explain that for for me, and then we'll continue.
1: Yeah. So you know, honestly, it's. Um identity is a, an incredibly nuanced piece and so the way that we identify um it is is always uh, complex and an intricate um and so at one point it was simply LGBT and then it was LGBT Wait. oh can you hear me
0: yes i can yeah 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 okay just, um...
1: so, oh oh got it and so um you know at one point it was it was simply LGBT and now it's LGBTQ and then it was LGBTQIAA squared, so forth. And so, um, you know, for anyone out there that's, that's listening, that's like, whoa, that's a lot. Um, that's okay. <laughs> and even so for, for me being a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I, I'm like, I, I sometimes struggle with this as well. So I think knowing and, and, and not necessarily not knowing, it, it's quite okay. Um, so for the L- LGBTQ, plus the L is for lesbian the G is for gay B is for bisexual T is for transgender Q is for queer and so while that that was originally used as like it was used as a hate term um, many are within the community are reclaiming it some some still find it offensive um, and so so it's it's definitely a term that has a bit of... Um, you know, just a, a lot attached to it. So, but within the academic community, it is it, it is becoming readily accepted to refer to the LGBTQ community as the queer community. Yeah. Um, the, the, as far as the plus, there are different definitions, and there there are you know many people can say that it's one thing or another. But um, to my understanding, and so as, as far as for my explanation today, Q would be another Q would be questioning. So a person who's still kind of exploring. I is for intersex. So a person whose, whose body is, is not definitively male or female. Um, they may have XX or XY chromosomes or their genit- your genitals or reproductive organs are not considered standard. Um, you know, in quotations, a standard. And then A is for allies. A for asexual. So that would be someone who's not attracted to a, to someone in a sexual way whatsoever. And then lastly, P for pansexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will send over, I'll send over a, a resource so that you can throw that into the, to the notes as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Of course. I that. Yeah. I mean, so many of my friends over the last few years have been identifying as queer. Um, and so I've been seeing that more and more and more. So thank you so much for explaining the plus, all of that. Of course. Oh, so, okay. Um, I do want to segue into a little bit about student loans. Uh, It's a little rocky segue here, and then more into your money story, which will, you know, tie in all of this together. Um, I want to move into student loan debt because it's such a huge issue, and I've had such a hard time finding an expert on this. And there's someone I've been referring to for years, um, Heather Jarvis. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, an attorney I am. Okay. Um and and my community's been going to her, but sometimes she's hard to reach and um and it's such a specialty um because it's different than credit card debt, um and and all other kinds of debt. So tell us a little bit about um why you decided to take this on is one of the main focuses and a little bit about your work and support in this area. Sure. Yeah, so um, I I actually
1: wasn't a student loan specialist until coming to the organization that I'm currently with, SmartPath. Um, So I I personally have student loans. I I actually received a a full ride to college for my undergrad degree, but for my MBA, I I had to take out loans. Um, So I knew quite a bit about them. I knew how how they were calculated. I knew kind of the the income-driven repayment plans like that. is an option as far as for payment for, you know, for paying off your loans, et cetera. But when I started at SmartPath, because we serve middle-class Americans, we we see the gamut of financial issues between um, money avoidance and money worship uh, g- generically to simple um, issues of, as far as, Hey, can you help me with a debt management plan? Um, I say simple, very, uh, very, very loosely. That's a very complex issue as well. But it, for us, we actually started seeing quite a few individuals coming through and asking questions on student loans. So the organization in itself is is a startup. It's a, it's a fintech startup, and so um, we serve several universities, and we we serve their several. Excuse me. We also serve a. Um, Med school department, and they, that's, those are very complex student loans and also more complex issues with having a residency or a fellowship coming and what do you do with your loans and so forth. And so, um, my colleague Alex Wilson joined the team and she's absolutely brilliant, um, and she went through and designed a, a quantitative model for our organization, and uh, I, I broke it. I, along the way, I was like Alex, this is wrong, this is broken, this is. <laughs> and so I was her. Um, I was definitely the guinea pig in, as far as launching this. And so we have streamlined this process uh, with with our leadership team and with the rest of the staff here to be able to to really answer any student loan question that someone has. Um, we go through and run a full analysis on loans and then go through and discuss with them their current cash flow. What are the upcoming purchases or what are the upcoming life changes? More importantly, you know, where are you moving to? Are you getting married? Do you expect children? Um, sometimes those are questions that can't be answered. And so that, that those are things that have, that have to be reincorporated into this payoff plan. And then, what are your feelings on debt, et cetera? Um, and come up with individual payoff strategies for each of our clients along the way. So, for us, yeah, really, it was it was born out of a, a natural need of of just really serving our clientele in a way that they needed to be served or wanted to be served.
0: Oh, I am going to be sending people to you <laughs> on this. I mean, people have questions about consolidated. They did it years ago as a high interest rate, or they got in at some of those lower ones, which is great. Um, you know, my my community has just so many questions and concerns and so many emotions, you know, around having student debt um okay so also it sounds like you know what you're working with middle class folks which you know i've done so many interviews on this with financial planners and this makes me so happy i'd love to hear if you're talking about um a certain range like what are the numbers that you consider middle class and also you know just the concept of we can't go to a financial planner unless we have a million dollars or half a million dollars or and then i started finding folks who you could start at 50,000 and, you know, there's a lot of people that are changing this, which we have to do. So how how are you defining middle class? Is it um, an income range or net worth range? Um, And is there a beginning number or can people pay you, you know, just sign up to do coaching sessions with you, which is usually hourly or via package and say more about that. So so yeah so for us right now
1: i would say that our we kind of base middle class on um net income so net income to gross income just depending upon the whatever we're looking at whatever type of financial issue someone is facing but overall i would say somewhere around $50,000 gross income to about a 120,000 ish gross income individually really when you start getting up into the six figures that starts to be kind of the point to where you're, you're you may not be an appropriate match for our services unless you want ongoing accountability work on the on the financial coaching side um, and so we actually have two sides of our business. One is SmartPath, which is for financial coaching, and the other is for SmartPath advisors. And so that's going to be we have an um a registered uh, registered investment advisory um side of our business. And with this we, we kind of provide more so segmented financial planning. So we're gonna look at are you ready for retirement and uh, we also have something that's called our money mix, which is reallocating investments. So especially that's appropriate for people that um, may not have that $1 million in investments, but they're like, oh, I have no idea when it comes to my 401K or my 403B or this or that or all of these numbers and letters and what do I put all of this money into? And they just want to to talk with someone. Um, so our organization doesn't sell any financial products. So we are we're 100% fee only. Um, and we are a fiduciary, so that word meaning that we provide all of our advice um, fully on the on the best interests of our clients. And so, as far as uh, the other question is feelings on um, serving the middle class and having investment minimums and, and et cetera, um, our founder of our, our company, Alok Deshpande, he his mom immigrated to the United States with i think it was like a dollar in her pocket or something it was like nothing and by the time that she retired she had a million in investments and she she did that simply from not from just that bootstrap mentality, which we're seeing. Uh, you can't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It's not going to solve r- racial wealth gaps and gender wealth gaps, et cetera. Um, but really, she did that with by relying upon her community and continually growing her education and also spending less than she made. Um, and that's that's kind of what we have built this business based upon of the premise of um, diversity and spending less than you make. So I hope that answers that question.
0: It does. It does. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So um, let's dive more into your own personal money story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm wanting to know before I go into my standard questions, even just why did you get into financial planning and personal finance yourself? So share a little bit more about your journey. I mean, so many financial planners were saving from such an early age. Um, I wasn't, I was like, there's so many things to spend money on. You know? <laughs> I want to buy my mom a ring. I like candy. I want it, you know, like I just said so many things I want, you know, so, but my financial planner friends early on just wanted to save. And so tell us a little bit about, yeah, your journey and. Yeah. did into this work?
1: So, you know, for me, I, I think I had two parents who were very opposite of one another in their spending styles, um, their, their money mindsets, even the scripts that they held. And so, sorry, Mom, but my mom is a spender. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I would say that my dad is a saver to an extent. My, my dad likes to play, so he he has toys and gadgets, and he does things with his money that, um, you know, he he will save up for something. But he he also saves up long term. So I, I watched my dad growing up, sit down at the kitchen table and pay bills. Back when you had to pay bills. You know, when the bills came to you in the mail Um, and watched him balance his checkbook, which that's something that most millennials or younger won't necessarily know about either. But um, I, I watched that. And I also heard my dad say in jest to my mom, you know, if he'd spend as much time reading investment books as you do reading harlequin romance novels we'd be rich and he would say that probably once or twice a year some for some format of that just joking around with her because my mom is an avid reader um and oftentimes just reading trashy romance novels on the weekends and so um I I think I took that to heart (laughs) because I was like well apparently that's how you get rich is you go study investments um but even after that I I got into college. I was a business major. I thought I was going to go the route of marketing because that's what was supposed to be fun. Um, and as an ENFP, I wanted fun. I wanted to be able to do something that was enjoyable. I got into marketing. I was I was working primarily in tactical marketing, not strategic marketing, and I hated it. Um, but along the way, as I was in, in the business world, um, Completing my MBA, I, I found that I was really good with money. Um, I think part of this stemmed from also I had a sixth grade teacher, two teachers actually, who coordinated a class fully on money for an entire year. To um, so where we had to keep a checkbook, we had funny money, cash. Each each Friday we could we could use money that was paid out throughout the week. Um, For you know, for particular deeds or acting behavior or grades, et cetera, different, they had different um, ways that you could get your, your, get paid. Um, And you could buy a candy bar or a soda or this or that at a a concession stand, or you could squirrel your money away. Um, And at the end of this, there was an auction. And so I would say for me, um, I had never had a a name brand, pair of shoes because my family at the time was was fairly low income Um, and they were like no you're going to get shoes from 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 the general store kind of down the street and that's where it's going to come from Um, and so I saved up my money to get my first pair of Adidas shoes in sixth grade Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's kind of where it began and so that whole uh, you know you said most financial planners are savers I'm a saver to an extent um, in real life now, in real life now, <laughs> Rosé wasn't, wasn't real life then. <laughs> As an adult now, um, I, I always keep a, a savings account with an emergency fund. I, I invest into my retirement, et cetera. But, but I'm also very balanced within my money story. So I, I set a, I set a budget to eat out and to buy clothes and to, go on vacations and trips because I I try to find a balance between living today and saving for tomorrow.
0: Got it. So you're not at the the saver who's on the very frugal end. You like the balance. You like to have fun, which you've said a few times, you know. Mm
1: Yeah. So you
0: also like to enjoy clothes and eating out and travel, and Mm -hmm. you make sure that's balanced with all the other saving and investment accounts. That's right. Yeah. And it sounds like you, you got a few different versions from your parents, like we all do. Our parents, you know, any couple is going to have different money styles of earning, mm-hmm. spending and saving. And so, uh, your dad was a saver, but he also then would spend on big ticket items. Correct. Um, and my husband's like that. He likes his gear, you know, and I, and so for me, that's good. So he's, they're both, right? They, he likes to, he will save for something. And then your mom, well, I heard she's, she loves reading and that she's a romantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so mom, mom was, um, mom struggled a bit. Mom struggled with, with money and um, mom, mom grew up way too soon for her, for her mm-hmm. age. She, she had to come into a position of supporting her family at 16. And so um to help her own mom. And so I think I think for my mom, she really struggled with debt, with credit card debt for um, for several years of my my adolescence. And so I think for mom, it was very much um, wanting to to have the things that she couldn't have and then didn't quite have the means then either within her her 20s and early 30s then to, to go get those things. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was definitely a challenging time in our family for, for my parents. Uh, but they, they were able to work through it. Um, they, they're still together today. And so I, I think it's oh, almost 32 years. So they've, they've definitely they managed to, to move through it.
0: Wonderful. And I appreciate how you're honoring where she comes from in her story, mm-hmm. because she grew up, she had to grow up too young. It's yeah. take care of other people. And so her response or reaction or rebellion against that was she still wanted to be taken care of or she still wanted some things. You know, she still wanted some nice things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate how you're going back further to see um, why and how some of her patterns came to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've been able to work that through. Um, do you think by doing your own money work and stepping into the profession you have that you've encouraged them or initiated more conversations or do you feel you've helped them or do you feel you, you, you've all just grown? Um,
1: I I would say, you know, and I, I I didn't, I didn't fully address, um, I'm going to go back to your former question of why I got into this. I, I think part of it was my parents as as to why I got into this is because I watched a lot of years of strife and difficulty. And so part of it was that I wanted to help couples understand, um, how to have conversations between one another Mm -hmm. about money and, and how to understand the differences between one another and honor those differences while also finding ways to collaborate. Um, I think the other part of this for me also was uh, as a first generation college student and as an LGBTQ person I I see firsthand the power of money the, you know it the, the, and it can be used as for good it can be used for for you know for for more I don't want to say evil, but you know, not for good. <laughs> um, and as we can see currently in in today's politics and so forth. But I, I really wanted to understand the influences that money have upon our lives, um, our lives, excuse me. And um, I resisted it for quite a while. I, I actually, like I said, I went into marketing, um, and finally succumbed to the fact that I'm I'm fairly good with money, and I'm also have a a huge desire to understand human behavior and human interaction. And so I I didn't come into this profession first for financial planning. I came into it first for financial counseling and financial therapy, Um, discovered your book along the way and um, discovered the financial therapy association and Brad Klontz and others, other financial therapists. And I started seeing, wow, this, this field is the real deal. um, And so I kind of got into financial planning backwards. I'm only, I only do the math because you have to. I actually hate it. (laughs) I I really don't enjoy the, the compound interest and the this and the that. I do it because it's, it's a tool. Um, but I really kind of want to get into the mindset and the behavior and the story first of what's going on someone with someone, um, and what their experience is of money. So yeah. And, Um, as far as my parents, I I think we've evolved. Um, my mom is very willing to have conversations with me about money and she's, my mom has really leaned on me a lot as she's, um, nearing 60, she's fifty. Seven. She may get on to me later because I, I don't 100% remember if she's 56, 56, 57. Um, and so as, as she's getting closer to retirement, she's asking a lot of questions. Uh, dad has—he was resistant at first. He was—I I, think—I think his kid knowing a little bit more about finance maybe um, was tough for him, but he started calling and asking some questions and having conversations with me about about it so it's i think it's um it's just an evolution
0: yeah yeah and i'm wanting to go back to that 14 15 16 year old kid and i'm amazed that in arkansas arkansas you had this money class you know that, that was that's pretty amazing um that you had that class that you were talking about that led to the auction Right. Yeah. To, yeah. You know, led to you um, saving for Adidas. But it was also when you said it was a really hard time when your mom was overspending and anything more about that time for you and what you were watching and feeling and learning and what money beliefs were created or what choices um, were. Yeah. What, what decisions were being made at that time or what that what was that experience more like for you?
1: Yeah, so I think, I think it was around sixth grade was the class. So probably, what is that, 12, maybe 13. Um but as far as the adverse spending and the credit card debt usage, um the credit card usage and debt was somewhere around nine or 10. So a little bit before then. But, uh, you know, a, a lot happened. I, it, it was, it was a lot of strife between my family, between my parents, a lot of fighting. And I, I definitely think it cemented um, many financial flashpoints. So for me, I, I know that what came of that for me was that I, I would never allow my finances to be in the hands of someone else fully. I would always have a stake in them. So I I know that I, I work with a lot of, a lot of women and not all, but many turn over their finances to a significant other um, whether heterosexual or, or not um, and and that's something that for me I, I really try to work with with my my women clients to to help them feel more confident and brave with money and I, I think that's driven by my own bias <laughs> um, the the other part of it is that I knew that I would want a a partner that I could have very open conversations about money with, even when it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it was important to me. I I broke up with several partners over it. (laughs) That that was probably the the wokest thing that I did as a 20, 21 year old, was seeing their money behavior and accumulation of debt and so forth, because I was scared. I was scared of debt, Um, of consumer debt primarily. and. Yeah. Oh goodness! I, I know that there's probably there's there's more there to be unpacked, yeah. um, but it definitely it definitely influenced you know how I feel.
0: Yeah, and lifelong journey, right? You, even though this is our work, we're going to be learning new things about our own relationship to money and story for years and years to come. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I also from different circumstances declared at some point I have to make my own money and I'm not going to rely on a partner um, for that, you know, because I, there was so much power over me. I felt so controlled around money from my father and it, 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 yeah. And I wanted a partner who it would be more equal. You know, I just, Uh so a little different than you, but similar. I, I had to make my own way. Um, and not be dependent on anyone else i don 't know if that 's what you 're saying um, you 're saying a few different things that were way more advanced than than where I was at twenty one which is um, we need to have good money conversations i can 't have you you know overspending to the degree where there 's going to be you know a significant amount of debt, and so on you know you were you were aware of all of that at twenty one mm-hmm. um, so would you say that that was one of the big Money challenges that you had to overcome, um, is there another big story, or was that the the main one that shaped you, or is there another big oh big yeah
1: problem? okay <laughs> so I, I think that that's one um, I, I think another was coming out I, I think that it um, I, I went into undergrad with with really good financial habits from from learning how to budget in sixth grade, from understanding what, what money is, understanding that student loans have to be paid back. Um, fortunately I didn't have any from undergrad, but I did have a difficult coming out and that, that sense has been repaired and is, um, continually being evolved that the relationship with my my family over overcoming out at the time but it, it was tough and I think for me it was a huge attachment wound so even as as an adult because I I, I grew up in Arkansas so uh, for those who have misconceptions or thoughts about what Arkansas is it probably is what most of the stereotypes that you know um it's small and it's it's um, more close minded than than a lot of the nation and it's um, lower on as far as the education scale goes it, the the public school experience there is not as great as on the coast on either coast excuse me um, and so not not just with my family but with my greater community there was not a lot there was an acceptance i I remember going to uh, in college I knew I was one of 10 LGBTQ people on campus and that was out. Um, So it was tough. It was tough. Like if you look around and you're thinking about like dating and parties and going to class and all the things that college is, well, there's not a lot of dating when seven of the 10 people that are LGBTQ are, are male (laughs) and um, are, you know, are men. And that you, you're a lesbian and so um couple just with it, it was me coming into myself and me figuring out who I am I'm also kind of losing this sense of safety of home mm-hmm. so when you lose a sense of safety of home you kind of go back to that lower rung of Maslow's hierarchy of start trying to figure out where where am I safe and so money was part of that is that I knew I had to have money in my savings account because if um Stuff hits the fan i I've got to be able to take care of myself yeah. um and so i I was very cognizant of credit I had financed my car um in part with my father in high school and I paid it off, um, throughout undergrad. And so I already had started developing credit. And when, when I graduated from, from college, I went and took a small personal loan just to supplement my savings a bit more and to build my credit up a little further and, and moved to New Orleans, um, to, to, for my MBA, but also to get the heck out of Arkansas. And so I, um, I think that that was another big financial flashpoint for me so from there i i have always had an understanding with myself that you have to have x amount of dollars in your savings account or you're not safe you're mm-hmm. not okay mm-hmm. so
0: there's so much here i mean there's mm-hmm. so much here so um how old were you when you came out i was
1: 18 it was my first semester at college
0: okay that's a lot
1: you know that's mm-hmm.
0: a lot in in one moment in one year of your life, um, so you had some understanding of money, your systems in place, and then you're transitioning into being a college student, and you come out, and that it sounds like there was a big shift in family dynamic, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm and that took time to come back again to safety and homeostasis. And, and meanwhile, you're very aware of your relationship to money. Can you, there's, there's more here. If you're, if you're open. Oh yeah, absolutely. uh, To sharing just, um, how coming out and did you identify at that time as lesbian and do i still identify as lesbian or do you say queer and,
1: and yeah i i think i i primarily identify as as lesbian um there are times where I, I, I'll, I'll toy around with queer but it's been used against me a lot within the south so it's one that um it's to reclaim it also comes with pain so I I primarily identify as lesbian. At, at the time, at 18, I didn't really know. You know, I I was like, well, maybe I'm bisexual. Who knows? But I had I had um I knew young when you're going through puberty, there's so many feelings happening. Um and. I, I, I was like, well, the guys are really, they're okay. They're good friends and I had feelings for girls and I didn't really know what was going on. And so I couldn't truly embrace that until I was away from home because of that safe place being home. Um, you can't step outside of, of what's expected of you, um, until you're further away. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah. I, I do. I do still identify as lesbian,
0: and and could you repeat your? I know you. I think yeah, you have another question think, as well. I think I'm still. I'm still. It's being formed, and I'm. I'm wanting to hear more from you of just how being a lesbian has shaped your relationship to mo- money in positive, and negative, and challenging, and beautiful ways. I know that's a mm-hmm. all. Um, you've already said like safety has been so important to you, what that means to you, finding safety in your body, finding safety in your bank account, finding safety through developing credit. And I think it was so smart of you to have taken out a personal loan during that time. You knew you needed to do that. So I want to hear more about that for you, both on a personal level, and I know you work with the LGBT. Q plus community too. Mm-hmm. And there are probably certain patterns and support that you need to give. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I knew that I needed to have some funds available within that move to New Orleans, because um, for for several years I was kind of like, there's not a safety net. If I fall, I'm falling on my own. Um, now, granted, that I could have could have gone home my my relationship wasn't so tattered that it, i could i could have moved back but there was no way in hell that i was going to allow myself um just because of my own mental health and well-being and so that that shapes you knowing that you've got to do it by yourself and so that's not just for the lgbtq community single moms et cetera, you know anyone that's kind of without uh, that support network and so Furthermore, um being away from home has a lot of impacts on on your finances in general. Um for me in particular, for my own personal story, I I grew up in a community that was very tight knit. Most of my dads how the family lives within about a mile from one another, so it's kind of like a almost like a subdivision but with family. <laughs> and so um I grew up in the community where you, you take a lasagna when someone's passed away, and um there are several churches nearby, and everyone goes to one of them and um people know one another's birthdays and when when you're building a house or working on a vehicle, there's someone always there to help you and so I gave that up i I let go of all of it because it was too painful to receive the judgment for who I was from the people that I loved the most. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was tough and, primarily emotionally, but then also um, financially because I was having to do it on my own. There was rent. There was groceries. There was um, if your car breaks down, you have to take it to a mechanic versus your dad or, or someone else. Um, you all of the normal costs of life, so much of that within – the way that I grew up was supplemented. It was, you had someone to help cover those costs. You didn't have to go pay for all of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that, that was part of that within the time, the time frame that I was in, in new Orleans and in my early twenties, um, there were costs that came with going home. So if, if you're the one who has to travel to go home, there's, you're typically bearing the, the brunt of that. um, and then, of course, therapy. <laughs> thank goodness for therapy. Yeah, I to, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, really.
0: Really, thank goodness. Yeah,
1: absolutely thank goodness for therapy. I mean, because for me, that that's where I found the most of my healing was an, an acceptance of self. But um, uh, at minimum, it was at least 150 an hour because I, I didn't go to a therapist that accepted insurance. And um, they were the best in the state. And so it was it was expensive.
0: And how many years, how many years of of therapy, yeah, yeah, um, I'm going to I'm sure yeah, it like. um it's it's off and on,
1: I would say it was definitely several years in a row and and then i i've moved i moved a bit, and so I saw a therapist again when I moved, and then um I actually am currently not in therapy because of I've been so much into the c f p but i do have a financial coach currently and so that's i find for me um i have maintained a thera- a therapeutic relationship that's virtual um and then i can call her up at any point when things get too too much enough but i, I also find for me i i do therapeutic work after that really really heavy time frame i do it in stints three, four months at a time. And I take several months off three, four months at a time. And and a lot of that comes from just, it it gets to be too much and I can't stick it. I can't stick with it. I I have to take almost a a time for healing thereafter, um, Mm -hmm. to go do the work and, and push through the work and then take some time. Um, and that's, that's not always necessarily recommended. And oftentimes it's stay, stay with it ongoing. But for me that I've found that that's the, the best, um, routine that I can stick with.
0: I think it, initially it's important to go off for a long period of time. But after that, I think that coming and going and the concept of titration, which I know, you know, is, mm-hmm. you know, of taking it in small chunks and then taking breaks and then coming back, mm-hmm. you know, that feels healthy um, to me. And we all need to do it in our own way, you know, but there, there's no right way. Um, have you been able to recreate some of that community um, in New Orleans and now Atlanta, and do, do you now go back to Arkansas and to your family and community, and is it different now?
1: Yeah, so um, I was able to create that to an extent within New Orleans, and I have I have some wonderful friends there that I still maintain. Um, within Atlanta, I have some really, really good friends. The, the difficult part about Atlanta is – it's it's about an hour and a half anywhere. Um, so it's it's a tough drive um to get across town. And so that's that's something that actually my partner and I are working on quite a bit is is the building of community here. Um I have a wonderful work community because it is a startup. There's a um a family environment that comes with working at, at a startup. And so um, my my best friend actually works here we we started out as co coworkers and and now we we talk to each other like twice a day <laughs> um even if she's not at work i'm going to give her a call on the way home and just catch up and see what's going on with her i attended her her child's first birthday party a couple weeks ago and so um i but it is something that's always there in the back of your mind of my 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 partner grew up with a very similar community as I had. Um, her, her family is from North Georgia and same thing, very close knit, very difficult coming out. Um, I think that's definitely one of the things that attracted one another to, that attracted me to her and her to me is that we understood what it's like to be, um, having a small town family and also being LGBTQ, um, being having experience within higher ed, she's a PhD student in mathematics. And so, um, she was the first PhD student ever in her family. And so like, it, it's, um, it's something that we always go back to It's like, this isn't what life was supposed to be. You know, we were supposed to have this huge family and big community and help and people nearby. And so there's a, there's a lot of grief that continually exists, Um, and that, that's probably the next thing for me that I actually am going to embark upon with healing is rectifying the dissonance that I I carry of my current life. And then, you know, having family back home, but not wanting to move back home, etc. Um, and to the second question, yeah, I, I go home fairly, um, not this year. I haven't gone home fairly often this year, but I, I typically go home three to four times a year. Mm-hmm. About three is, is my my typical um, frequency. And so the relationship there is much better. Um, mainly it took a lot of very hard boundary throwing. Um, and I say hard at first because it was hard. <laughs> it was hard to do, and they were executed very, very poorly. Um, there was a lot of anger. Um that came up with that grief and and i i I very much claimed who I was with my family after after a lot of time of of them kind of expressing them wanting me to be different um i started i started throwing boundaries that that came with um, consequences of if if they if they did not conform that I would remove myself from their life and um I uh, probably not probably I know I didn't do those as well as I would have wanted to, but um in time they became very effective. So a lot of a lot of anger, a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, and then finally more um heart to heart conversations came of those of, of that. So now um I have a good relationship. I'm out with all of my family, friends, community in Arkansas. Um and I think they've finally come to accept that this this is who I am.
0: You've done so much hard work. Yeah. Through therapy, through, I don't know, any kind of boundaries at the beginning that don't have anger, you know, uh, ultimatums, you know, that are really strong. At, for That's how they come out. Mm-hmm. That this is just sometimes how it is. We um, mm-hmm. have to be so strong, um, and then, as you said, it moves into more deeper heart-to-heart conversations after the initial really strong anger. And I call it flame-throwing. You called it. Yes. What did you call it? My husband <laughs> calls it flame-throwing. When I flame-throw, you know. Um, and then it moves into the deeper conversations. But it sounds like it's been just just deep, deep, hard, hard work. And commitment to that, and I'm I'm just so touched that you go back three times a year still, and that feels like a that feels like a small amount to you, you know. That's that's still so much deep connection, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I, I really do think that the the overall love um, overcame the mm-hmm. the initial lack of acceptance or understanding.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. So different than me growing up in Chicago and growing up with my gay uncles and they were my beloved, beloved uncles. And um, I I just knew it was different for kids growing up in Chicago, coming Mm -hmm. out um, with an enormous community. I'm I'm not saying it was easy, um, but just such a different version Mm -hmm. than than your, your, your story and your experience. Um, I thank you for sharing all that. And I'm so happy to hear, I mean, I, I hear it's not easy, but you've done so much hard work. Um, and I'm just so glad that the love has overcome all of it and that you still go back there so, so much. Um, and that you're with a partner who, um, you both understand each other, the pain and the beauty. Um and how long have you been together and tell us a little bit more about how you two do money at this point in time um how you have money conversations is that easy do you have some rituals in place let's let's go there Yeah yeah so we
1: um we've been together now um gracious will be Two years and a couple of months, so we we met one another um somewhat long distance, not really super long distance, about an hour and a half away from one another and so we we dated on the weekends I was so going to see one another after the week had ended um and she moved in with me. Well, I would say we, we moved in together. We, we picked out a place and I moved into it first because she was still finishing up her master's um, at a university nearby. And so she moves into the, to our place in June of this year. And so we, we actually are, have been living together for a short amount of time and discovering our, our money dates and our, our money um, rituals. So we, we currently are and being fully um, honest she has her own individual checking account and I have mine I have my own savings and she has hers and we've we've sat down and we've discussed all of our bills that we each have as individuals we've discussed all of our our expenses and bills that we have as um, a unit so the things that we share for rent utilities, groceries, so on and so forth. But um, our, our plan going forward is we will be opening a, a joint account that we'll both transfer money into um, based upon um, it'll be a percentage of income, but it's going to be a little bit more convoluted than that because I have a lot more expenses than she does, as I I am fully into cause into the world with um, I have a car payment and insurance and uh, student loan and so forth. For her, she she has a car that she's had since she graduated from from high school. Um, she's a PhD student, so she's on a stipend. It's very very low income for her. Within her fellowship, as well, so that covers her tuitions and fees and so forth so um she doesn't have a lot <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of expenses going on, so there'll be somewhat uh, a percentage of income going into a joint account, and we'll each maintain our own individual checking and savings but for now, in full transparency, she's been covering uh, excuse me sending the the excess money that she she has towards our um utilities and so forth. And I've been taking care of them and we've been to having full on honest conversations about our money. But the biggest thing is we've had not, we have not had time to go into a complete money exercise because of the CFP. <laughs> um Even as a financial coach and financial planner, sometimes we put it off and <laughs> sometimes there's just not enough time. And that's been our experience is because um, I've been studying who I, I work about 50 hours a week, 40 to 50 hours a week at work. And, Pretty much two hours a night during the weeknights, and then about eight hours to nine hours a day on the weekend studying. So we just have we have not had the opportunity to do our um, full-on money exercise to, to further discuss things. But we have had some fairly good fights over money that then resulted in a lot of tears and a lot of um, good conversation initially about how are we going to manage this, where will the the accounts be opened, how do we want to open accounts, um cohabitation agreements, term life insurance, etc. Um we'll be we'll be getting ins- term life insurance shortly on my life because I am the higher earner between the two of us. And so we want to make sure that if something happens to me that that she's not in a position of um, of having to move back home to which may not be also the best situation for her either emotionally. So
0: this is all real. So real, you know, you're, you're, you're not having weekly money dates, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. whether you have kids or you're studying for a CFB or, you know, but you're doing all the work, you know, you know that, I mean, you're, and also as you know, there's no right way and you're having so i'm hearing so many conversations around money and all the different parts oh yeah i mean we have we have a lot of it's a lot
1: of piecemealed money dates i would okay. say is um for us because she is a very structured person she's a, a mathematician for Pete's sake um i'm a financial coach and financial planner so we we will be having weekly if not monthly money dates Uh, it's actually on our calendar for not next weekend, but the weekend after (laughs) we was already on the calendar for it right after the CFP was concluded, but um, we, we budget with groceries. She, she'll go into my wallet and be like, all right, I've got the debit card. I'm going to get groceries. And we've set a budget for that. Uh, The amount that we're spending, we've discussed how much we're spending on eating out. Um, We, we've agreed to eat out once a week um, as a unit. And then if we want to eat out any more, it'll come out of our own individual money to where it's like, oh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll treat, you know, otherwise it's kind of like going Dutch. It's coming out of joint money. Um, but we're, we're having a lot of the conversations, but it's very broken up. And so, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. <laughs> I call them,
0: I call them quickies in the kitchen, but it could be just like 15 minutes in the car, 15 minutes out for a meal. 50, you know, it's, it's all these, all these different moments that the mm-hmm. piecemeal conversations, um tell me about i mean when did you was it, it probably wasn't was it date one was it date was it three months and six months in where you said, okay, let's talk about credit scores and debt and yeah well, how did you approach that?
1: yeah so we actually talked about it before we went out on our first date um <laughs> so um we met online like any well respecting millennial and um we we started talking and because we were about an hour and a half away from one another, it was texting first and then it was um well hey would you like would you like to just hop on the phone and chat and I love to talk on the phone. I really hate texting, and I know that that's not normal for most millennials. I hate it. And so she, however, hates talking on the phone. Somehow I convinced her to talk with me on the phone, and we chatted, and we had amazing conversation. Um, And it was something that we actually started really looking forward to as we were in the giddy infatuation stage of dating and each night. And so we had conversations about this that or the other all sorts of stuff um gender studies and diversity research and money and finance and and so forth um religion and so about probably about, about the seventh or eighth day of talking on the phone um each night our, our schedules were in conflict with one another on on meeting up we couldn't meet up until literally about three weeks after being introduced online you know meeting one another online because of she was a professor um, as a, T- a TA, a teaching assistant, etc. And so it was finals time and it was just too much. Um, so we were like, well, let's just chat and see how it goes before we can meet up. And that's that's where it came out is we we discussed religion one night. Um, we discussed why we were kind of even on a dating site, what we were looking for, um, everything. Uh, really, we had some fairly good conversations, transparent conversations up front so that we didn't meet up and kind of waste our time. We were both at a point to where um, we weren't just looking to date casually. We we wanted to date to to find a long-term partner.
0: I love it. Yeah. And, you know, my husband and I had separate accounts for seven years, even though we were transparent about everything. And we're even doing that. I'll pay for groceries, and then you pay for groceries, and then we would total it up, and it would be the same amount after, you know, and then we re, we realized this is ridiculous. Like, let's, you know, and then at some point, and then I got pregnant intentionally, and then it was time to merge, you know. So there's, there's no right way. But I love that you have separate, and then you're going to do a joint, and then it's going to be a percentage on where you're at, each of you are at income-wise. Mm-hmm. You're in really different places right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and then go from there. Okay, tell us, I know we're getting towards time, but tell us about one good fight you had and how you got through it. And then um, I just want to hear more about what's next for your work. Yeah.
1: So I think one money fight that we had was, um, oh, my goodness, it was – we were vetting a budgeting software. This is right before I got into the review portion of the CFP. So there's a time frame where you're in the education portion and then you go into the review portion. And it's like you're at like two times speed and then you go to like 10 times speed. <laughs> and so when you're on the two times speed, you think that you're managing. You're like, oh, this is okay. We can do this. So like I'm, I'm busy, but the stress level is not uncontrollable. Um, and so we started actually looking at budgeting software. This is probably around July. And, um, I was like, well, Hey, why don't you link your account here? It's, it's an, it's an amazing software. I love it. It's, um, it's called, um, Oh, my goodness, I just actually forgot the name. I'll think of it in just a second and and give the plug for them because they're so good. Um, As far as for for couples, they're great, great for for couples because it allows – it's Zeta. It's called Ask Zeta.
0: Oh, never heard of it. Yeah, it's
1: a a great – it's a great app because you can link individual accounts, you can link joint accounts, you can show what you want to be able to show to the other partner, you can hide what you don't want to show if you're if you're at a point to where you're cohabitating but not fully incorporated with money. And so I was like, "Hey, why don't you throw your checking account in and so we can just um see how the functionality works." As as for me as a financial coach to tinker with it, apps and so forth were kind of my forte. And she's like, "I don't really feel comfortable with that." And um I was like what do you mean baby like she's felt comfortable with everything along the way you know in my mind of projecting of her trust level with me and and so on and so forth of um we've had everything's been fairly seamless financially and conversations that we've had and she's like yeah I just you know I don't want to do that she's like I thought we were she's like I thought we were going to set up a spreadsheet and you were going to build it out and just do the charts and like um, you know, I just kind of thought we were going to do the joint account and I have mine and you have your individual accounts. And I was like, okay, I was like, okay, what's going on with this? And, um, it's like uh, something, she said something, I said something, I got triggered, she got triggered and it turned into a fight and we, we don't yell at one another. We're not a, we're not a couple who yells. Um, and we yelled and screamed, and slammed doors, and slammed closets, and she grabbed a suitcase, and she was gone. She was gone. I mean, it was like a... And finally, I got back into my window of tolerance, and I put my hand on her back, which that may not be always the greatest thing for some, but for her, she is someone that if when she's out of her window of tolerance, if you touch her, she is able to then breathe and come back into her body and I touched her mm-hmm. and I was like, slow down. Mm-hmm. And I used my, she calls it my Kate charming voice. And I was like, baby, slow down. And, mm-hmm. um, we breathe and we, I actually held her. Um, and I said, let's just mm-hmm. set this aside for half of an hour. It'd come back to us and come back to, our love for one another, and we can discuss this again when we're ready um, and we we discussed it again a little more the next uh, briefly that night we agreed to to table it um, we we also aren't really a couple that just kind of we don't stonewall or isolate and um or ignore we 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 intentionally set things aside and so. Um, we intentionally set it aside to the next day, and then finally I was like, "Are you ready to discuss what happened and um you know she she mentioned some of her money story and some of the things that happened for her, and I won't go into great detail with that, uh, but um a, a piece that I do feel like she would she would be okay with me sharing was that um she hadn't always had control of her money either, and it was triggering sugaring for her to even just show that because that potentially could mean losing her autonomy. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, honey, I'm, I'm the feminist in me is never going to allow that. Um, we even discussed before she moved in that she would have a, uh, an Oh crap fund of, of, <laughs> she's always going to have her, how do I get out fund? Mm. So. Mm. Um, that that's very important to me. That each person is able to keep their autonomy and freedom amidst amidst relationship.
0: But it got triggered, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it just got triggered by you presenting what you thought was this great couples thing where you both could <laughs> see it, or you both could hide what you wanted to, but you you know. Um, and we never know what it's going to be, whether it's a spreadsheet or just the concept of merging it. You know it. It can trigger. It just can trigger all that old stuff. Oh, yeah. And, um, wow, what a okay, what a great fight. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I really appreciated, too, when you said, and I put my hand on her, and I know that that's not always the right move. Because for some people, when they're angry, if a hand, even if it's gently, gently with love and intention put on someone, that's not the right move. But you know that for her it is right,
1: yeah, and that's we we even giggled about that in bed this morning is so if if I lean over in the morning and um check my phone, I try not to i i have i have a d d however, and so sometimes uh, phone's like the greatest dopamine hit for <laughs> for me and um so we we make a lot of uh, kind of agreements with one another that i i won't be on my phone at night or she um in the first few moments of the morning etc but i i was rubbing her back this morning as we were cuddling in bed before work and um, i grabbed my phone and that's that's her um I guess her kryptonite is 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 be, her head or her back being stroked and so forth. And she's like, you can pretty much get away with murder just if you rub my back. And I'm like, I know. And that, she's like, I know. That's why I won't let you won't let you touch me most of the time if I'm in I'm angry with you because I can't be angry any longer. <laughs> so yeah, it's for her. I knew very intentionally. Um, it, it was safe in that I was a safe person. But yeah, not for for. Not for, for everyone. You have to be incredibly cognizant of your partner or of your friends and family so that it, it doesn't make, um, a difficult situation even more difficult.
0: Yeah. And when to use it. And you knew, you know, after going through the fighting and the screaming and the slamming doors and the being triggered, when it was time to actually pull that out, you know, mm-hmm. and calm it down and, um, come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, To be continued, in another moment, I'd love to – I'm going to check out Ask Zeta, and then sounds like you have – you probably have an article on your favorite list of all the apps. because of who you are and that you're a millennial and all of that. And I'm still like, I love the bookkeeping systems. I love Mint and I love YNAB and I love QuickBooks and MoneyMinder. And I have yet to explore all the apps. So, um, and to hear how that's working for you both down the road. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as a way to complete, there's so much here. Um what is what is in the next six months year for you um of what you're excited about, whether it's yeah with smart path with your work um share more about how folks can find you and and what's happening with your work over the next year
1: yeah, so um the next six months, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm kind of at a point of who knows because of, um, of of passing the CFP now. So I that was my that was kind of my next big accomplishment. Um, I would say that this was the passing this exam was the largest thing that I have done professionally uh, in general. Uh, I would mm-hmm. say it was even bigger than my MBA because of the mm-hmm. amount of tenacity and work that has to be put into to be able to prepare
0: for this exam. Can I, um, can I read what you wrote on Facebook? The, it, it oh took, yeah, so please. One, one year, 2000 flashcards, 800 hours of sitting on your own, 288 hours of lectures, 250 hours of review on your own, 70 plus missed social events, 40 plus hours of YouTube tutorials, 10 poster side flashcards, 6 textbooks, 3 review textbooks, 2 online CFP support forums, 2 mem, and 1 full-time job and on and on, 1 incredibly supportive girlfriend, unlimited support from family and friends, and you. Passed and, and, not pass. and passed. <laughs> and you pass, so you have probably you you can watch Netflix. You can go on more dates. like you you don't you you don't even know what. But you can, oh yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> that's the big thing is Katrina told me that I owe her a lot of dates. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we will, we will probably do a lot of time discovering one another personally. Um, we, we know one another personally, but on a fun level. So, since we've been dating, I've been working at a startup and I was building that at night. And then I started the CFP curriculum. She's in a PhD program. So, um, we've gone through a lot of strife from the beginning of our relationship. So, a lot of what many couples get into later, um, and they, they're tested later. We were tested up front. And so, um, I think th- we're going to use this time to have fun. We have a wedding to go to this weekend, of, uh, some, a couple friends of hours. And so, um, it's going to be a weekend away in the mountains. And then I, I'm doing some, some pro bono student loan talks for different universities. Um, I, you know I'm gonna continue just to network and see um fortunately with my employer we're very very transparent and so i they know and I know from them that if the opportunity unfolds here for to progress and move into further leadership um that's kind of the route I'll go or or if there's a, an opportunity that's presented that is um more aligned with my long-term journey that that's also the route that I go so I I think it'll be kind of twofold I'll either be continuing to move forward with smart path and smart path leadership or um going with a incredibly diverse financial planning or financial coaching firm that um that's really where I'm a cultural ad and so yeah I I we we will see Mm -hmm. but as um as far as where you can find me, I, I definitely encourage if anyone is interested in, um, monthly financial coaching and if it's, it's something that they're, that, that aligns with where they are. It's, it's $39 per month, so it's incredibly affordable. And so my, my work website or my, my work, my employer is at joinsmartpath.com. And I also recently launched a blog, um, website which is fairly rudimentary right now, but it will be expanded upon as I move more of my writing there to, it's um, diversifyfinancialplanning.com. So it's D-I-V-E-R-S-I financialplanning.com. And then I'm all over social media, so please feel free to follow me.
0: Kate, congratulations on passing Congratulations on arriving in this moment in your life and career, and um, enjoy and celebrate and best wishes on, you know, all this extra time that you're going to have with uh, Katrina and, and where you're going, and thank you so much for sharing some of your stories with all of us today.
1: Of course.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me with this money memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the Art of Money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.